I sit down with someone, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, let's go win a bunch of games, and then I want to be just average. I, I want them to want to be a dude. Like, I want you to be a pro baseball player. And that should be everybody's goal. Not everybody's going to get there, but what the heck? Let's, let's do that. But it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about you helping your team win. And as you do that, more scouts are going to be here. And, and they're going to, when they ask that question, could care less what I think about that kid's talent. They're going to make that decision on their own. They're always going to ask me about what type of person are they? What kind of teammate? You have to understand this as a coach. Players are never going to care as much as you do as a coach because it's our livelihood. It's what we do, you know, day in, day out. And, and they're only doing it for three, four years with us. And, and, they, and they care. There's some that care more than others. But I just think that's really important to understand as a coach. And that just changed my perspective a little bit. Everything that I do, we do as coaches, we're doing it for you and for the program, right? Because we're going to care. It's true. We care more than you guys do. And I'm going to try to be mean when I say it. But please understand, we're trying to help you be successful. We're trying to help you be a better person. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. The March to 100 episodes is still in motion. This week we bring you episode 96 and yet another terrific opportunity for us to sit down with highly successful coach and find out how they're going about learning and growing, the hard lessons they've had to overcome, their path up the mountainside, and we appreciate each of you joining in on the conversation. Take a few minutes before or after the show to subscribe, review, and share. These are how we keep growing this network of listeners and lifelong learners. On your phone, your computer, your tablet, subscribe to this podcast. You'll never miss another show. Leave us a review on there. Ratings are always great to see. That helps more people find our show and go the extra step and share the show. Use it on your social media platforms. Use it in text groups. We just love to see you get invested in challenging folks inside your baseball circle to dive in and get better. It's all about growing this coaching community, and we appreciate your help. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at ABCA1945. You can also head over to our website, abca.org. If you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about, you know, membership for the 2018-19 calendar year is open. So make sure you jump on board with us today. Plus, mark down September 1st. That's the first day you're going to be able to register for our upcoming ABCA convention in Dallas, Texas this January at the world's largest gathering of baseball coaches. Time's going to fly by. I mean, it's going to float by these next four months. And we want to make sure that you have a seat at the table or just mainly a hotel room to stay in while you're there. So take care of that for us as soon as possible. As always, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. More terrific tweets and messages coming through this past week. My guy Cameron Coplitz, he found some time while the family called it a night to dive in headfirst into the podcast, take some feverish notes. It's a smart move right there. My former assistant and now great friend Blake Hunt, assistant at Middle Tennessee State, he got admitted to Automobile University last week, working on that degree. Love that stuff, Blake. 
Coach Roddy Jones in Texas went on a tear. He digested a ton of our shows to get better as a coach. And then I would be remiss if I didn't mention Cole Mitchell from Alabama. He chose to stay in the car while his wife went shopping, all in an effort to make time for more certified audio gold. Even Corey Looney jumped in there and followed suit. Again, we love this stuff, guys. Keep those messages, those tweets coming in at us. It fires us up to see you find time to invest in yourself and your development as a coach. Now, this is our second Dugout Chatter episode under the sponsorship of our proud ABCA partner, the great people over at Rawlings. Now, with Rawlings being the official helmet of Major League Baseball and the Babe Ruth League, plus a longtime partner of the ABCA, we just ask that you head over to their website, Rawlings.com, that's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com, and find out more information on the extensive line of products, from bats to gloves to apparel to uniforms that can help take your game to brand new levels. Now, as coaches, we're interested in sustained long-term success. We're not always interested in the one shot at glory and then move on. We want to find that consistency in our program. Year in and year out, you can count on us being there. And when the time's right, and we start playing our best baseball late into the year, the game starts to look our way and turn that direction, we put ourselves in a position to make that dog pile a reality. And that's exactly what has happened for this week's guest, a 15-year continuous member inside the ABCA and the leader behind this year's NCAA Division II National Championship and bringing that trophy on its maiden voyage back to Sioux Falls, South Dakota and to the campus of Augustana University. We connect with Viking skipper Tim Huber and man, does he show up. This is an exceptional conversation through his journey as a leader, finding his voice and fanning his competitiveness to focus on the development of his players. Plus, Tim details out the championship culture in place there at Augie, what he expects from his current players, and we even dive into what he expects from future recruits. He's the winningest coach in Augustana program history. Huber has led one of the most consistent Northern baseball programs in the Division II level over the last 10 years, which helped build them to have the opportunity to make 2018 a banner season. But it's the drive that Tim has that should jump out through the earbuds for you. The appreciation for his mentors and coaches that have guided his own development and the advice and perspective he offers us throughout this show. Another Take Feverish Notes episode, as always, connecting with the national champion. So come on in here, pull up a bucket with us as we're going to chat with the 2018 NCAA Division II National Championship head coach from Augustana University in South Dakota, Coach Tim Huber. He joins our show and is our guest on this week's Dugout Chatter episode. And get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We are going to the thriving metropolis of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the pride of Sioux Falls, the Division II national champion. We're talking with the head coach at Augustana University, Tim Huber. Tim, thanks for jumping on the call with us, my man. Thanks for having me on, Chiefs. We're excited to have you now that we're off and rolling here. Um, There's so much I want to get to inside this conversation, Tim, because we've got a lot to discuss. Certainly, you guys coming a few months off that dog pile out in Cary, North Carolina, going back on the road recruiting, then your kids really showing up on campus in a brand new year upon us. But where we always start our shows, you being a guy that's been very 
very loyal inside the ABCA, proud of your membership, an opportunity to get you out on last fall's Barnstormers Clinics Tour. Did a fantastic job talking there at South Dakota State. Uh, but we just want to talk about your ABCA experience over the years, man, attending convention, learning from some of the greats inside our association. And then how has the ABCA grown you as a coach throughout your career? Yeah, that's that's the beauty of, of coaching, I think, is just continually learning. And I, I think that, well, for me, there, there's no doubt in my mind it really truly started when I was a graduate assistant. It was my second year of coaching. Uh, I was down at Southwest Minnesota State, a school in our conference. Paul Blanchard's the head coach, and he always kept talking about the convention. I know you know Blanche. Oh, yeah. He's, he's done he's done a lot with the ABCA and he go well for me I was spoiled the first convention that I ever went to was in San Diego and we've <laughs> we've all grown that now but yeah he goes you're gonna you're gonna love it and you know so I go down to San Diego which obviously beautiful weather beautiful people just a lot of baseball minds and it was just like wow this is this is crazy and I think maybe I've missed one I, I, I could be forgetting another one one or two over over those years uh, you know that's almost 20 years that, mm-hmm. I, that I've started going and and I've uh, been a member you know every year but haven't quite made every single one but close yeah. and, and it's just again it, it's it's the stuff that you, you go down there and, and Blanche Blanche always said you know pick something up just learn something while you're there yeah. and while you course when you're younger you pick up way more than that but uh <laughs> um yeah just just being around the guys and, and the baseball talk and uh, it's 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 amazing from the speakers to the you know post speaker sessions to the the late night conversations which i probably appreciate as much as anything no doubt. um it, it's the abca has been been awesome no uh, doubt love a great reference from the wise old sage paul blanchard himself uh, just a, a, yep. a loyal ABCA guy to the core actually helps spearhead our rookie coaches mentoring program and uh, is very loyal yep. to what we're doing here. Um, I think a great way, as we always like to, again, get these shows off the ground and rolling downhill is give our guests the opportunity to talk through their career in baseball. And what that does, Tim, is it gives all of our listeners just some perspective of where you're coming from. What have you seen and how does that relate to the information you're giving us? So take us through each stop along the way throughout your coaching journey. And then along those lines, just give us the major lesson that jumps off that you learned at each and every one of those spots. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I played played ball at Minnesota State Mankato. It was Mankato State when I was there, and and um, you know, I, I think that from the time I was playing, I could even go back to high school where I you know did some coaching uh, of the youth when I was in high school, and kind of had an idea along the way that maybe I wanted to coach, but didn't really know and mm-hmm. get my degree. And, and the year after college, I went and, and coached at McAllister College, a high academic school in, in the Twin Cities with Matt Parrington. And it was just a volunteer guy. It was one year and I was working. I always tell this story. I was working in the factory and making pretty good money. And, you know, I'd work 12 hour shifts. So you'd, you'd have sometimes those swing shifts where you work the nights and it was like, oh, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? And so that, that really led me into like, okay, I'm going to get into coaching. Like it drove me to, to want to really do it. And, and then again, the opportunity opened up with coach Blanchard down at Southwest. And so I was, I was two years with Blanche as a, as a graduate assistant, um, was very, very fortunate, uh, to, to learn a ton from him. I think that he was a guy that just gave me some of the basis of what it's like to be a college coach and what you're looking for. And, you know, along the way I learned a lot and I was always pretty driven person. So I, I got lucky. I I really did. I I got a head job immediately out out of Southwest, um, headed up to a a junior college in the twin cities, uh, Dakota County technical college, which is kind of where I'm from. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was great. Just being able to be closer to home, you know, kind of maybe knowing some of the coaches in the area and, 
And uh, to be honest, uh, I got lucky in that the the program before I got there was five and thirty, so they were awful. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) uh, It didn't really matter how successful I was; we were going to have a a good uh, good opportunity to to get better, and and we did. uh, You know, four years later, uh, things improved, and then um, this job opened up. Augustana University was a it was a connection. Jeff Holm was our assistant AD at the time, and and Jeff had been the baseball coach and was a Mankato alum, so him and I had a connection there, and. Again, I just was fortunate enough to get the the head job and and kind of the same type of a story. I, I you know I was at Dakota County. I learned so much of what it was like to truly, uh, when you talk about lesson learned, what it's like to do everything right. Yes. Uh, when yeah. you're a junior college coach, I had you know either no assistant or a very part time assistant. So I'm the the trainer, the the SID, the you know the pitching coach, the hitting coach. Yep. Um, you, you name it. So, so for me, I was, I was, I was really fortunate to be able to learn everything as a head coach and just let it go. And then, um, and then I got, I got the job here at, at Augustana. And, and once again, that was another program that just needed some, um, you know, I guess revamping. They weren't terribly successful before, before I got here and, and brought in a couple people that uh, were good assistants with me. And, and we just been building all the, along the way. And now I'm just finished year 10 and, um, you know, I, I think that the the, the major lesson uh, since I've been here is just you got to keep grinding and putting the work in, and you know, it, it takes some time. Mm, how about that? You know, before we get into the great things that are going on there at Augie, I, I do want to touch on this. You know, your early years in coaching, you talked about getting that first position right out at McAllister, and then obviously as you move into Southwest Minnesota State and those early years, and you're still trying to form what you believe, who are you going to be as a coach, and and obviously you're still growing up at that point. But what motivated yeah. you then to coach? What, what was kind of the at its core? What was really driving you to coach? And then has that shifted over time? Have you moved out of that into something else? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think that again, Blanche was so good at what he does because he he's done a great job of developing coaches, and he allowed me to um, to kind of learn on the fly. He, he you know I was in charge of uh, uh, certainly the outfielders uh, and, and the hitters, 100. percent I had the 100 percent control of the hitters and. And so, you know, I, I had to understand what it, what it meant to be in charge of something mm-hmm. and, you know, to kind of take some ownership with that. So he put that on me and then that just, he allowed me to continue developing things. We started a, you know, we did JV program for a couple of years while I was there. It was something I was familiar with and we developed that and, and I helped him with some fundraising that maybe they hadn't done previous, you know? Mm-hmm. So again, just, just having a coach that was willing to just allow you to just grow and, and just get after it a little bit. And, and so that was a, a big piece, I think, to my puzzle. And, and, uh, you know, again, just when, when I was younger, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but what I, what I loved about baseball was the teaching. Uh, I lo- I always have enjoyed teaching. And to this day, I, whenever I sit down with recruits, I talk about that, like development is what it's all about. And I think that at our level, certainly the, the lower levels, um, you have to do more teaching. You know, you're not getting guys at the division two level that are quite as refined maybe as those guys that are more prepared at a higher level. Mm. And so, so, so that's what I, I really kind of took from coach Blanchard. And, and I always had that in me, like, that's what I feel like I've been really good at is, is the teaching of, of baseball. And, and so um, that stayed with me all the way through. Mm. Um, you know, what, what led me to keep wanting to coach was, uh, I think just developed me my own process, you, you know, just how I wanted to teach. And it started for me, I've always been a hitting guy. It started with hitting and then it just developed from there to know how you can be a complete person, a complete coach. 
And I was very much in my early time, um, <laughs> an X's and O's, a uh, mechanics, yes. you know, guy, like all of us. Uh, no, yes. No, yeah. no concept of culture and team stuff. And I just was, it was there. It was important, but now it's, it's that stuff is way primary and, and the rest of it is very secondary. So that that's definitely changed as I've, I've gotten older and gotten into this. You know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago and, uh, on this show, and it's funny, the evolution of a hitting coach is your first few years, your offense, in essence, is hitting mechanics. I mean, that that's the extent of your offense is, man, let's get in the cage and let me just fine tune you. And then you start to realize that, hey, it's less about that. And it's actually more about scoring runs than it is anything. So yeah. let's get into these other elements. Have you seen that same transition? Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a little bit more of a process for us on that, you know, as you touched on the mechanic, so yeah. to speak side of things, uh, in what we do in our off season, but definitely you just gotta, at some point go out and play baseball and, and trust that there's other ways than worrying about the mechanics. It's, you know, that approach, the approach side of things, how do you approach getting a, getting a hit, being a hitter, being on time, what you're looking for, all that type of stuff. That's it. Oh, my gosh. Well, first and foremost, and on behalf of all of Division II baseball as a former D2 player and coach, man, congrats on this year's national championship. If you've paid attention to Division II baseball over the last 10 years, especially since uh, Tim has been there at Augie, you've seen this program climb into what started as, you know, into the top 25 and then into the top 15, and then just hovering around, always making it to regionals and being present in the postseason. And then to see you guys make it to the World Series, I mean, it, it's not – to anybody that's paid attention, it's not shocking to see that that consistency over time has built and given you the opportunity to really find a way to dogpile, find a way to win there in carry. So again, congrats on that. But when you think about building the program and and bringing it from what it is, like you said, just finishing up year 10, what did it look like when you got there? And to be honest, was this a goal that you had from the start? Did you see this vision for what that moment could be? Did you see that in year one? Uh, well, year one, it's hard, it's hard to say yes, right. but, um, we asked I'm, the I'm hard questions pretty, here. It is, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'll say this, I'm a pretty confident person and I, yeah. and I just always have believed in the process. You know, I think there's a process to anything you do. And mm-hmm. I think everywhere I've been as a coach, I've always said, you know, everybody has their hurdles or challenges. We do here. People don't see them sometimes, but we definitely do. Uh, but you got to find wherever you're at, what you can, what's going to be your success. Like what, what can you brag about? What can you talk about? Yeah. And then you just, you you roll with that. And, and so I think it took me a little bit to figure out like what were, you know, high academic school competing against big public schools in our, in our, um, in our conference, you know, obviously Cato played there was, has been the, the predominant team that's made it to the world series mm-hmm. and done really well. But mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that if I had to answer that question, I thought maybe we, we could way down the road get okay. to where we got to this year. But, boy, what it looked like when I got here, they, they were, again, they were 13 and 30 the year before. And um, I'm like, oh, boy, how long is this going to take? Sure. Um, but but the funny thing was this. What I didn't realize when I got here is they had some talent. They really did. They had they had a little bit of talent, um, but I was so lucky that my first year we had an unbelievable, a really great group of seniors, just good guys. And all we did was we just, we needed to change the culture and, and, and get them to understand that they could win, you know, and that was, mm-hmm. that was big. Cause I got the job so late in the summer where there was zero new recruits that came in and we went from 13 and 30 and we were 27 and I don't, we were two games over 500, whatever the heck we were okay. 27, 25 or something like that. And, made the conference tournament, which is a big deal. I think we were picked like 
last or second to last and we finished you know in the, in the top six to make it and so it, it just was again we changed the culture we're lucky to have some good players um but the goal was just to, to get better year after year and see what would happen and yep. we started to kind of see you know sheets baseball you've been around a while it's a yep. funny game and you, you just sometimes it's not about the wins it's 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 you know it's the successes that go along the way and we've been close but baseball has got us a couple times um I've talked that we've had uh, three different guys that have that were pitchers in our program in the last five years that were major league draft picks that had years of eligibility left. Well, you lose those guys when you had a good program. It's like that just changes your team. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, so again, we we've been getting close. We just hadn't quite got there. And this year it was just it was an intriguing and and, and unique group uh, that helped us get there. And then we just played played good baseball at the end. Well, you know, when you look at, um, again, you guys getting over the hump, I think it's a really neat dynamic when you talk about the fact that in, in your World Series appearance, you've got to go through teams in California and Georgia and Florida and Texas, which before I even said those, if I said, we're to some of the four hotbed states, you would say those. South Dakota does not roll off the tongue. You know, and, no. and I think that's a, that's an interesting dynamic when you think about how do you approach recruiting? I mean, you are in Sioux Falls, and we're, we're blessed. We had a barnstormers trip there, and I got a chance to see it for the first time and see how dedicated folks up there are to athletics and obviously how passionate and, and great teachers that are there. But how do you approach recruiting? How do you go about getting the right players uh, to come into your program? What does the ideal player look like to join the Vikings team? Can you open that up? Uh, yeah, I'm athletic, um, offensively, somebody that can run. Uh, we've usually recruited a lot of shortstops. Um, okay. you know, I think a lot of coaches will probably tell you that it's a hard position to recruit, but guys that at least played shortstop in high school and they're athletes with on their team. And I get some, I get a hard time sometimes from some coaches in our conference. Blanche is one of them. Well, how many shortstops do you need? And I'm like, well, you know, as well as I do, they're not going to play short when they get here, That's it. but they, they can run They're athletic. And we, we figure out uh, where they're going to be as uh, once they get here to this year was case in point for us, our four hole hitter and our five hole hitter were freshmen for us this year. And, and neither one of them have had ever played the two positions they played for us all year. First and right field. Wow. They were both high school shortstops and they just found their way into the lineup. And I'm like, Hey, go take reps at first. And he looks at me cross-eyed and the other one, I'm like, go run around in the outfield. And <laughs> you know, that's that it played out. That's those are the spots that were available. And, um, so, so I think that's the, that's the culture of the position player that we're, we're looking for the, uh, pitchers, the pitcher side of things, you know, we're not, it, it's not terribly common for us to, to get a guy that comes out of high school. That's a, the mid upper eighties guy that can pitch at all. You know, they're, they're usually going to a higher level than us or turning us down. I, I don't know, but we can't get them. So I, I think we've done a really good job in our program of finding the guy that, uh, the arm works good. There's maybe some length in the body, you know, maybe that six two six three guy or, or or better, and and they're you know low low eighties, hopefully mid eighties guy, but low eighties with some pitchability and can spin it a little bit, and and we just help them get bigger and stronger. And you know, again, I, I think in the weight room we do some things that are unique, and we've had a good culture there too. So finding that type of person that needs the development that we bring them in, and and uh, we had a whole bunch of hard throwers this year, and and that was a you know just a piece to those guys getting better and working hard and. And um, you know, developing in, in the program. So that's the type of person we're probably looking for in okay. in our recruiting. Yeah, I appreciate you opening that up. What I just heard inside that answer, you open up. We do some unique things in the weight room, but let's move on. I heard every single listener go, Sheet, you better follow up and ask him 
what he does in the weight room that's unique. I'm going to give you that opportunity. What is that? Yeah, I, you know, I um, again, this is a recruiting thing for me. It doesn't make it right or wrong, but uh, we end our pro- fall practice competition season a little bit earlier than some others do. Um, you know, up in the Midwest, uh, the weather, shoot, you can get into mid mid October, sometimes late October, and usually be outside. And a lot of teams will play their World Series. And this is just an example. What we do once we hit October first, our priority is the weight room, and mm-hmm. so. Just my theory is that you look at the guys at the highest level of baseball, they're big, they're strong. Shoot, some of those guys are so stupid, they're cheating, you know, and, and doing illegal sure. stuff to try to get bigger and stronger. So, I mean, it tells you that if you can be more physical in our game, um, you're going you're gonna to be more successful. So, again, for me, the development is so important that if I can gain one, two, three, sometimes four weeks of true weight room development time, and we're baseball secondary, I, I think our guys will gain a little bit more uh, more muscle tone, a little bit more good weight over the course of their one, two, three, four years with us. And so you add all that up, and all of a sudden you're picking up three or four months of weightlifting uh, with with a 18 to 21-year-old. That's a huge deal. Sure. And, and again, that's just my opinion. It's not that there's a secret sauce to our lifting. I mean, there's some intent that goes with it, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And we get after it in there, but there's also just a priority that myself as a head coach put on, Hey, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of game action and competition action in the fall to have more of a priority on the lifting. And so gotcha. I think it's been a, a big benefit for us. Well, you know, an easy transition, Tim, and something that our coaches would really like to know about for you to take us on a ride inside your program. What's it sound like? What's it feel like to be a Viking and then more than that, what's it look like to find the culture that you have in place there at Augie? Yeah, it's, you know, we, we talk a lot about, and again, I, I said earlier when I started coaching, it was just mechanics and going playing baseball and talking about that. But, you know, we, we the team aspect, and I'll talk more about Coach Boyer later, Dean Boyer, but uh, team is always first with us. And I learned that back when I was at Mankato. And the thing that I've tried to incorporate with it, though, is it's going to be team first, but I really want our guys to have high individual goals. You know, we've mm-hmm. sent a ton of guys into pro baseball the last handful of years, and, and, I, and I think that's important to note because I don't – when I sit down with someone, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, let's go win a bunch of games, and then I want to be just average. I, I want them – to want to be a dude. Like I want you to be a pro baseball player and that should be everybody's goal. Not everybody's going to get there, but what the heck let's, let's do that. But it's not, I always say it's not going to be about you. It's going to be about you helping your team win. And as you do that, more scouts are going to be here and, and they're going to, when they ask that question, cause they could care less. Those scouts could care less what I think about that kid's talent. Mm-hmm. They're going to make that decision on their own. They're always going to ask me about what type of person are they, what kind of teammate. And so that's the beauty of what we've had go on here is, is just that good team culture and wanting to win as a team. And some of those individuals have got their opportunities. So, so we, we started talking more and more about that in our culture here. And it, it starts to me, it starts with our, with our seniors and there are, they have to be our leaders. They have to be our guys that teach. I think that's a big, big part of what we do here is I always say, I want our juniors and seniors to teach our freshmen and sophomores more than I do because they've been in our program three, four years. They know what we talk about. They know what, what, what I'm looking for. And I'm such a passionate guy that they're like, they know I'm going to get on their butt if something doesn't go how I want. So sure. they, they need to be those guys that kind of, kind of lead by example. And, and I think the other part of it is just, again, it's, it probably follows my temperament a little bit, but I, I expect them to work and they're going to put the time in and it's, you got your NCAA allowable hours, but then what are you doing outside of practice? You know, do you have, 
we have a space that's available for our guys to go in and work out whenever they want. And they can put some swings in, you know, speaking to, to the hitter mentality, but they go in and, and, and put their work in the building. And, and um, again, your leaders have to show the young guys how to do that and what it's all about. And eventually, I think just over time, if you work at it and you put that time in, it's gonna, you're going to outwork it. And so th- those are some big things for us that I think have been a program and a culture thing that obviously it does take a little bit of time for that to play itself out. And, and again, that's where we saw the fruits of the labor this year. We had a, a group of guys that really wanted to work hard to help us get there. You know, a fantastic season again, man. I can't say that enough. 52 and nine and, and just what you guys did this year, 2018, certainly a banner year. Uh, you get the dog pile moment and probably two parts on this. What was that gratifying moment? Can you, can you, define that, you know, when you finally saw the last out being made, what did that feel like? But then what's been the effect? This is a really cool question for, for, especially for first time national champions. What's been the effect on the campus? What's been the effect on recruiting? What's been the effect within your team? Yeah, the, well, first of all, uh, last out gets made, and I took a deep breath because there is no chance I was enjoying anything until that last out was done. <laughs> Good call. Um, Great call. Uh, yeah. Again, just way too darn intense of a person, focused pitch to pitch, and, and uh, last out gets made, and I just, I literally get up, and I think I got caught on camera. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe we just won this thing, you know, and and you, you hug your assistant coaches, and, yeah. and from there, it just, it literally was just a deep breath um, opportunity for me, and uh, obviously really cool, not, not expected, but really cool. Um, moving into how it's affected things, what it's been like around here. I, I think that for me, the, the coolest part is, is from the minute we wanted up till now hearing stories and hearing who paid attention and who watched games. I mean, just people that oh, we streamed your games and I'm like, really? I'm like, you don't even like baseball, you know, <laughs> like sure. what are you doing watching, watching games? So family, friends, you know, neighbors of friends that I don't even know the neighbors are like, Oh yeah, we were watching you guys play. I'm like, really? I don't even know you. <laughs> right. Um, to, to alums, you know, uh, professors on campus here. Yeah, I just, spoke with one today. And I mean, again, it's, it's just pretty cool to hear all the excitement that goes, that goes with it and how many people are truly connected to what you're doing and how you're doing it and how much excitement it, it brought to everyone. Now to answer the question on recruiting, I don't think I can truly answer that yet. Okay. It's something that I, I, I believe for us, we're a touch later in the process. So probably it's something within the next two weeks to, you know, a month, month and a half, I'm going to have a lot better feel when that guy says yes, or he says no. Sure. Um, uh, as far as the recruiting process goes and, and who's making commitments, but so far it's been overwhelmingly positive. Well, we had a prospect camp here a couple weeks ago and had, you know, more kids than we've ever had. And a lot of guys really wanting to be part of what we're doing. So yeah. if nothing else, which I guess we should be, but we're on the map now. Um, yeah. so it's going to get, if nothing else, it'll get my foot in the door and, and get our program in the door. And, and, and then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, go meet my pitching coach. He's awesome. Go see yeah. what, see what yeah. you got going on there and sit down and talk with me about what we do on, on the hitting and the offensive end. And do you want to be part of it or not? And if yeah. you do, let's, let's go, you know, so we'll see, we'll see soon enough. Well, like I said, it's validation for what most of us have seen. And that's leads into this question. You guys have done a fantastic job, Tim, of being very consistent over a, a long period of time. And uh, in fact, I liken it to an uh, interview that we're going to put out uh, the following week with Pat Casey from Morgan State to kick off everything as we get into a new membership year and, and a new year heading towards Dallas because Oregon State has shown the ability to be consistent. And if you 
are consistent over time, you give yourself a chance to, you know, things fall your way, the chips, you know, fall into place and you have an opportunity to go do what you guys did. How have you gone about being consistent? And is that something that you're aware of? Is something that you think about, talk about in terms of staying at the top, building it and giving yourself a chance? Is that something that shows up? It does. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's, it's intentional. Mm -hmm. It really is. And I think that yeah, boy, I mean, it's, it's easier said than done, but I really believe it's, it's, it's a lot of planning. Uh, I, I okay. think I'm pretty thorough in a lot of areas. Um, and, and again, there's been some intention into what we do and how we do it in recruiting and, and not just looking at this current class, but what do we need in, in the next class and, and how, you know, the, the number of juniors and seniors and, and do we, are we looking more for junior college or transfer guys here versus high school kids and, mm-hmm. So, so there, there's a lot of an intention in terms of how we've gone about it. And, and I think that in coaching, sometimes some of us get too caught up in the, the right now and, and the immediate moment. And if you're like, oh, I got to get this kid or we're going to suck this year. Well, I don't know if that's always true. What, what tends to happen if you do that is you stick too much money into someone and then all of a sudden you hurt yourself for maybe a couple of years down the road that's where right. we, just, we haven't really done a ton of that. We're not going to put too much into too many individuals and instead of, again, just focusing on that team aspect. And we, we have to trust the fact that we're going to be able to develop guys and we're not looking for them to be, you know, one year immediate contributors. If they are, that's a bonus. But I, I think that that's something if I ever had to make, make a statement and some advice for younger coaches that don't get too caught up in the now, just trust the process and and trust that if you do it the right way and, and you plan accordingly and build it over the course of time, you can be more consistent and you won't have those, those highs and lows, you know? So I, without getting too specific as to what that means, that's probably the process I think that's helped us the most is, is just planning out those recruiting processes and, and, and the years of, of development has, has led us to that consistency. And then as you get better, it's easier to recruit better players too. Right. That's so yeah. we, we started getting a couple of guys here at uh, the last couple of years that maybe we weren't getting six, seven years ago. And, and that just, you know, took us to that next step. Mm, okay. So again, the first half of this man outstanding. And as you know, we get into with these dugout chatter shows, we get into our, our outline of what we want to pull from you that again, we can look across the front of every single coach, high school, division one, division two, II, division three, professional, NAI, junior college, and the same stuff seems to come out because again, we are all the same person. So when we drive into this, uh, this line of questioning, I want to start with Talking about who you were as a young coach, and I'm more specific to how you view that person now. Uh, interactions with players, standing up in front of the team, um, teaching, coaching, those elements. And along those same lines, discuss your growth as a leader. How have you really matured and grown inside your role as a leader of baseball players? Yeah, it's 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 always kind of intriguing as a coach to look back, you know, 15, 20 years and and uh, <laughs> that's a it's a great question. So there there's no doubt there's a lot of changes. I, I think that one thing along the way and and I do think this is important to note, I've stayed passionate all the way through. Like mm-hmm. I just have a, a genuine drive and desire to be successful and there's there's just a fire there and it's always been put right at my players. I I don't really care. I'm just going to put it on them, you know, like let's mm-hmm. go, let's get after this a little bit. So that's always stayed, but what I've learned along the way is how to channel that and how to, you know, maybe, maybe put it on them and when to put it on them. And so like example, when I was a younger coach and, and in my first job as a head coach at Dakota County, I, I, I think back to every little mistake that someone made and you're just, you're like, oh, you know, you're bad as a coach, bad body language, yep. head goes down, you throw your hands up, like, what are you doing? You know, and, and, and these are these, for the most part, physical things. 
And, you know, we all know as coaches, what is that, what's that player going to do? He's going to look at you right away after he makes a mistake. And so that's his, that's his take back. And so for now, for me, I just, I've had to learn some of the body language stuff that we teach our players. You know, I can't do that either because they're looking to us and, you know, it's got to be positive. It's got to be, all right, you're fine. Let it go. You know, if it's a mental mistake, there might be a little more visible uh, frustration, but um, you know, for the most part, I've, I've really learned that part of it is, is had to change, you know, cause they're looking to you for, for that advice and, and you get older, they're still 18, 19, 20, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I needed to learn that lesson as a coach, um, moving specifically to the, the leadership stuff. What I have really, really taken on as a head coach the last, even just the last few years is understanding that I think it's a, it's a teaching process that has to happen within your team and within your culture. And I've done a better job of literally having leadership meetings and talking about what it means to be a leader. And the the best way I try to put it to our guys now, you know, as they get a little bit older. And and so what we've done is we've incorporated freshmen, sophomores, juniors, obviously seniors into those leadership groups and meetings. And, And some years we do more of them. Some years we do less kind of depending on our culture and what I think that, you know, how much help they might need, but, you know, getting them all to understand the the very basic comment, like, look, this is what you guys can do to make your lives easier. Meaning that me as a head coach, I'm going to have my expectations. There's things that are going to happen day to day, month to month, year to year. Mm -hmm. Just trust that that's going to be the truth. So how can you help make life a lot easier? And instead of me having to be the bad guy, as an example, once things don't go well in practice and having to kind of jump on somebody all of a sudden if you do that as a leader and sometimes it needs to be you know forceful you need to get on someone not sure. physically but you know like get in their face and then sometimes it's it's in a pot more of a positive way and you, you know i think trying to get our players to understand that they need to wear all those hats just like the coach does and it always means so much more coming from the players to the players versus the coaches to the players so That's right. um it's been more intentional for me to, to teach leadership. Whereas I don't think there's as much natural leadership that's, that's out there as, as maybe there used to be uh, with, within the, you know, again, that, that 18, 21 year old population. So I've just kind of made it a point to put more time into it and then try to help them understand the why and the how. And, and that's really, I think helped quite a bit as a leader and, and has helped our, our program and, and certainly our, our culture. So good. Um, this I love this question. I mean, when you think about our ability as leaders and, and as coaches to um, constantly be in a state of learning, in terms of, uh, and, and this has been said so many different ways, but if you're if you're teaching hitting the same way you did 20 years ago, man, you've missed out on 19 opportunities to get better um, in terms of years. And so when you think about something you've learned that's maybe um, changed the way that you've gone about coaching the game from that point forward, or something you saw out on the field that just went, you know what, maybe we could do that differently. Is there anything you could point to? Yeah, I, I, probably for me, the, the best one, and I'm not a huge technology guy, but just technology in general, I'll just sum it up and say, you know, we've got a hit tracks in our program. Now we've got a rap soda, we've got modus sleeves, we've got some other technology related things that uh, it's just what you're saying, right? Right before I'm, I'm answering here, it's if you're not embracing what's going on, you're falling behind. Yeah. And so uh, the, the ability to continue, and, and it doesn't need to be something that you spend a lot of money on. It could be more simple uh, than that, but just, just embracing what's out there and the learning that's going on. There's so many smart people. And so to, to, to be able to just take 
some of those things. And I'll just, I'll, I'll give you one really good example. It sums everything up for me. We had a, a draft pick this year. Jacob blank was the pitcher of the year at his junior year. Um, and he just, just a very talented guy. And in and, and his senior year this year, I thought he was having a really good year, but wasn't nearly as dominant as he was as a junior when he was the pitcher of the year. And uh, I remember our, our pitching coach, which we don't bring out a lot of training type stuff during the year, but it's three quarters through the year. And, and he brought out the rap Soto that we had bought this year and, and him and Jacob went to work on his breaking ball in between starts. And, um, cause it just wasn't as sharp, wasn't as good throughout the first, you know, three quarters of our year. And we go up and play Minnesota Duluth, a team in our conference. And Jacob started game one of the series, which for us is a seven in game. And the nine is the second. And Jacob goes out there and he's perfect for six and six and a third innings. And it was unbelievable. I'm not kidding you. Unbelievable sheets. The difference in his breaking ball from the previous weekend to that weekend. And then wow. it carried through the end of the year. Um, spin got better his velocity needs to get better on it, his spin access, the, the, the type of pitch he was throwing. So, you know, I think that, you know, five, six, seven years ago, I'd be like, nah, that, what the heck, what do I want to use that thing for to now? I'm like, thank God yes. we got one, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I, that's what I think has the, been the biggest change for me is just embrace embracing maybe some of the technology that's out there and an understanding mm-hmm. that that's what, that's what this day and age our, our guys want. That's what they're, where they're going to learn. And so, that's definitely helped me grow as a coach and, and, and giving me some new tools to use to help our guys get better. Sure. When you think about the word success, there's got to be a personal definition that comes with it. So how, how would you define that word and, and, and broadly, what does that look like for you? How do you check mark success? And then has that changed? Has that even shifted over the years towards that definition? Uh, you know, I, I guess I'll go back to, I can't believe this is, I don't think I was very smart when I started coaching, but this has always been my philosophy that, and I've told our guys this, I've written it on, you know, job descriptions and, and just things I've given it in potential employers that my goal has always been, I want our guys to get better every day. And it's just a really, really simple thing. Sure. I, I talk about it all the time with our players. And to me, that's what success is because again, we, we, we live in a sports baseball where, boy, you're going to have a lot of failures. And if you determine success by wins and losses, sometimes you can be very, very frustrated because you just, the ball doesn't bounce the right way and you got beat. And, um, so you can have a loss, you can have a loss, uh, in a game, but you can have a success, I think by just competing and getting after it and, and truly getting better that day and still losing. So I think that's what I've always defined success as. And, and, and as always, I tell our players, the wins and losses will take care of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you do that, if you work on it and work on getting better every day, you're going to win more than you're going to lose. There's no doubt about it. So quit worrying about the, I hate to lose sheets. Don't get oh, me I know that. Yeah, I can, yeah, for but, sure. But, but yeah, I, I think that's the, the most important thing. So really, you know, as far as changing over the years, I've, I think I've, I've maybe learned to, to understand more what it's truly like for my, what my philosophy is to understand that a loss is okay and to accept it maybe a little bit more. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's made those losses a little easier and moving on to the next game because that's what you have to do in baseball. That's it. <laughs> that's great. Take us uh, inside the daily habits or routines. What are some things, Tim, that you do personally 
uh, maybe on a daily basis or um, in terms of organizing yourself or, uh, you know, going about your day in terms of um, uh, routines and things like that, that I think as, as coaches, we can learn from the guys that are having great success, maybe adopt what they do. And then is there any books or podcasts or articles or things like that, that you would share that might open the eyes of some of our listeners? Uh, well, resources, number one, all of them, there's not a bad one out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a, I mean that in all sincerity, I, you know, shoot so many, it just depends on what you're looking to learn because there's so much stuff that I think that no matter how good or bad someone thinks a book or a podcast is, it's, it's something that you're learning, you're listening. And, and even on stuff that someone might say, Oh, he's terrible. Well, then you still learn something from it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, I literally, that's my answer all the time. Like, just listen, learn, read. It doesn't matter to me what it is. Just do it. Um, I, I think that's important. Da- daily habits, routines. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a ton of them. I, I guess just for me, the, the successes and the things that I try to do on a regular basis is, is find time to put the, I know it sounds dumb to say, but the extra time in. And I think that for me, it's always been a, I'm more of a night guy for working. So I, I'll, I'll put in a lot of late hours in the office because there's not as many people around and yeah. I just seem to be able to get a lot more done that way. So um, I don't know for, especially the young coaches out there that maybe don't have a, a family yet. Uh, that's probably an advice whether you're a morning person or a night person, I'm not a morning person, but, uh, <laughs> finding a time to be in the office when there's not as many people around and fewer distractions. And I, I've always found a way to just get a lot more done during that, mm. those times. Okay. And then I think the other part of it is, um, it, it's, I always try to find time. It might only be once, twice a week, you know, depending on how busy I am. And right now it's crazy, but uh, to, to just even just go eat lunch by myself or have dinner and just go sit down and go in a corner somewhere and just kind of, I guess, decompress a little bit. That's always been a, a thing for me that has really helped and not necessarily to think about anything coaching related, but just kind of, you know, surf the internet look at Facebook, whatever, and, and just kind of just, just be alone and, and, and get away from it a little bit. I think that even if it's half hour, 45 minutes, that seems to be something that I think truly helps and, and can reset you a little bit. So maybe some habits, I guess. That sure. I try to do. That's great advice for anyone. I was just almost felt relieved thinking about a moment where I could go decompress. I appreciate the, the, uh, the offering there. <laughs> Another question we always go to most humbling moment in coaching. Again, something that, that really just, uh, really socked you in the gut, but more than that, you learn from it. And it's one that you never let yourself get too far ahead. You always stay grounded. What would you offer? Yeah, yeah boy. I, you know, I think that I, I take a little different perspective here, but uh, m- more so the, the the process of getting jobs. You know, I think that's really humbling. Um, yeah. I, I won't say any specifics, but there's a couple jobs that I thought, well, you know, I'm probably a pretty good candidate for that. I couldn't even get an interview and couldn't get on campus. And you know, in, in hindsight now, those are jobs that at the time it just really punched in the gut. Like, really, am I that bad of a coach? <laughs> right. And, uh, and now I'm, now I'm like, thank God, you know? So I, I, I just think it goes back to what you and I are talking about sheets and, and, and the purpose of you doing all this stuff is to help those young coaches understand that you're going to be humbled. It's going to happen. Um, you know, and, and for me, it was just like, okay, let's just keep moving forward That's where right. I'm at fine, you know? So I think that was probably the biggest thing for me moving through the ranks is, is understanding you're not going to, you know, I've had some guys reach out to me even this year and say, well, coach, I just can't get an interview anywhere. I'm like, that's the way it goes. Sometimes it's timing and all of a sudden you're going to get 20 interviews in the next two years. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Um, hidden talents or hobbies. You got anything you'd offer? Uh, 
not a lot because uh geez, this is crazy I, I spent a lot of time doing baseball i'm 41 i'm still playing so i love it uh, go into it i well i'm not very smart i just i, I just keep doing it we hosted the uh, south dakota as it's pretty strong amateur baseball state and um we hosted the state state amateur tournament here it was a 12-day tournament 38 games and i was playing uh at the same time so i'm just wow. i literally got sick at the end of that <laughs> 12 days and and then on top of it i i decide i'm going to go back to minnesota my home my hometown and play uh, over 35 uh, in addition to amateur ball so i did that last week and i got one weekend left so i just i can't even move into our college season because i'm still stinking playing this summer so it's <laughs> it's just all it's all consuming it's i guess it's baseball i don't know anything else that's awesome Great footnote to Tim's presentation out on the Barnstormers Clinics Tour. Uh, he shows shows up, and he's got one of the early <laughs> slots, and he starts kind of stretching and popping the back. Like, what do you got, man? He goes, well, I had a game last night, and I had to drive over, get, get any sleep. And I'm like, you still play? And it opened up a great conversation. I'm glad that came out. That was my hope in that question. Um, funny stories over the years. Anything, Timmy, you would add? Yeah, not you know, I I think that it's maybe less of a funny story, but just uh, you know, again back to team culture stuff that yep. I think is good to add, where where the guys get a kick out of it. But we have them uh, do some stuff um, and the fall practice, like you know, you have a work day for the losing team, and we literally have them. We've got a wood fence; they have to stay in our outfield fence, and uh, they you know, way back eight, eight nine years ago, our, our team had to put up that wood fence. And so oh, wow. th- there's just always kind of some funny stuff that goes, goes along those lines that, uh, like really coach, you want me to do this? And, and then guys spilling, spilling stain all over the place. And we've got sure. a couple, uh, couple patches uh on the concrete of stain that that just is is memorable and you know they get yelled at at the time but then five years later like oh coach remember when i did did this <laughs> right and, uh so it's, i think it's probably more just uh, the work-related stuff that uh uh that builds over the years sure now i'm guessing you've already mentioned a few of these guys but i'm gonna give you the opportunity to talk about your personal Mount Rushmore again the people that have really impacted you the most when you think about who you are and where you're at or because of these people who would you put up? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've if I've been able to to give these guys as much credit as there I should. I certainly talked to them about them, but uh, you know, I think the first one for me was a guy by the name of Barry Wooler. And anybody up here in kind of our area, or certainly in Minnesota, knows who Barry is. He happened to move to Belle Plaine, was my football coach my freshman year. He moved to town and just changed changed my world, like what it meant to be competitive and driven and you know, just get after it. And, and along the way, he just was kind of, I mean, he was a stud athlete, three sports at the University of Minnesota. And, and just, just a guy that I saw as just someone to look up to. And that's where it really started for me. Um, Jeff Miller, uh, you know, along the baseball world, um, uh, another bell playing guy that was my baseball coach in high school, just a really good guy. Uh, probably the person that's been the most impact on me in, in my coaching career, my playing career, Dean Boyer. So Dean, I don't know if you've ever met Dean Sheets, no, but uh-uh. he's, a, he's a Hall of Fame guy, won over a thousand games. He was our coach at Minnesota State Mankato. Okay. Uh, just, I mean, I mean the, the funny thing, anybody that knows knows seven is was how we all call him all the players called seven is uniform number but yeah. you know coach boyer was that guy that when you played for him there wasn't i wouldn't say there's a, a lot of guys in the team that really liked him but then you know 10 five years down the road you just love the guy because you knew what he really was doing and mm-hmm. and again because he was i see a lot of myself in him just a very very competitive person hated to lose 
Uh, but there were so many positive things. And I always kind of reference back, like he still to this day goes to all his players' weddings and then just travels all over. And um, it, it's just, just that guy that it was a, a ton of culture stuff that you just don't understand, I don't think, when you're a, a 20-year-old that you really get now. And um, a guy that's still very involved in my life, it's kind of coming full circle. Uh, Coach Boyer just moved to Sioux Falls and probably going to help us out a little bit this year, which I'm sure will be interesting for him competing in the same conference as Mankato. Yeah. but. Um, it's going to be pretty cool having him around. He, he just, again, I can't say enough positive things about, about coach Boyer. And then I already referenced him, but again, a huge part of me as, as a coach is, is Paul Blanchard uh, at Southwest Minnesota State. Blanche was the guy that really uh, taught me what it was like to be detailed oriented in terms of what to teach, um, how to prepare your guys, um, you know, just doing things the right way in coaching and, and how to progress. So, uh, obviously owe, owe a ton to Blanche and still competing against him. And, and he's still uh, certainly a mentor of mine and, and we talk quite a bit. So awesome. uh, he's meant a lot, a lot to me. That's great. Um, take us into, you know, you think about the best players and you think about the best teammates and people that you've really spent time with and just mentioned a few of those, what comes off the page to you in terms of you really boiled those folks down? What would be a stand at the top? What would be the qualities that you think describe the, the best people that you've spent time with? Yeah, you know, outside of maybe Blanche is a little more low-key than the first three, but just competitors, uh, just very driven, driven, driven individuals. Um, and, and again, it's probably the quality that, I, that I've taken on the most is, is just having that, you know, drive to be, to be great, to be successful, to want to work. Um, I, I just think those qualities and those teammates are guys that I remember the most. Uh, certainly have to be passionate and have to care uh, care a lot about each other. And, and that's a big thing. It's, it's not something in my world that I'm terribly comfortable with. I, I give my guys a hard time all the time. Like I, I suck at positives. Like I'm terrible at it, but, <laughs> but it's because I'm always trying to coach, you know, and just trying to help them get better. And I'm like, gosh, I just, I, I suck at telling them what they're doing. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but, but, but because of that, it's, it's, again, I go back to the, the competitiveness, the dri- being driven and, and, uh, but all those things, it's, it's just having a, having some, some care that goes along with it. Wow. That's great. Okay, man. Last question I got for you. And it's a two-parter, but it's one that we always ask to end our shows. When you think about offering the best advice you've ever been given, what's the one thing that still to this day comes off the page to you that you needed to hear it at that time and it still rings true today? And then what other advice do you have? Anything else that you got? Empty out your pockets for us and offer that up to our coaches. Yeah, there's, there's two things. They both come from Blanchard. I, I give <laughs> Blanche all the credit for this. You know, he, he says this to all the coaches. I think it, it takes time, you know, and yeah. it's very, very true. It takes time, whatever level you're going to end up at. It, it just takes time to get there. You got to have patience. And obviously we saw that happen this year. And, and number two, um, this one really hit home. And I actually brought it up to our players here a couple of years ago for a variety of reasons, but Blanche said, you know what players there, you have to understand this as a coach players are never going to care as much as you do as a coach, because it's our livelihood. It's what we do, you know, day in, day out. And, and they're only doing it for three, four years with us. And, and they, and they care. There's some that care more than others, but I just think that's really important to understand as a coach. And that just changed my perspective a little bit. Um, is just knowing that I told our players that, and I think that the reason I said it is, is you guys have to understand that everything that I do, we do as coaches, we're doing it for you and for the program, right? Because we're going to care. It's true. We care more than you guys do. And I'm going to try to be mean when I say it, but please understand we're trying to help you be successful. We're trying to help you be a better person, all those kind of things, you know? And, and so that I think that's important for a a lot of reasons. Um, and then 
I don't know, advice for other coaches. I, some of this is simple, but you got to work hard, you know, and it just, you think you're working hard. You're not, you got to work, you got to work at it a little bit more, put the time in. I, I think as a young coach, uh, I would say, don't focus on the money. I get so annoyed when I hear some guys making decisions on the money. It's like, Oh my Lord, that's, that's sure. so dumb. Who yeah. cares? Right. You're not going to get paid anything when you start. Um, just, just go get a good spot, put your time in. I, I think that the best way I've tried to put it certainly for my current assistant coaches, and we've had some success with guys moving on and getting head jobs is, you know, I always say, try to become someone that can't be replaced. Like you just, mm-hmm. you don't want that guy to leave. And then either a, when it comes down to money, that school is going to pay you the money somehow, somewhere to keep you yeah. or B when somebody calls and asks me about, about you, like, please don't take this guy. Like, you know, that's, that's reality. And, and then, and then the other really, really big one for me, and, and, and I'll end on this is I just think that every coach should treat the program like it is like it's their program, you know, whether they're the head coach or not, if they just do it that simple and just treat it like it's theirs, like every decision they make, the work they put in, like it's their program and not just why well, I'm an assistant, I'm getting paid to just be here and, and show up. Like, would you really work that little amount on this job if this was your program and, exactly. and you're going to be the guy 20 years from now? And there's all, I think there's a lot of people that do not do that. So mm. that's a big one for me. Well, absolutely flat crushed, just like a D2 national champion would. Uh, Tim, this is outstanding. Uh, we are just beyond thankful to get you on the call, obviously to let you have the opportunity to talk through some of this stuff and have our coaches be able to learn from what you've gone through and offer your perspective. Man, we're just so thankful that you're inside the ABCA. It's fun to watch the Vikings take off, and I'm excited to see what 2019 has to hold for me. I wish you the best of luck this fall, and we look forward to catching up with you soon, Tim. Thanks again. Thanks again. Looking forward to seeing you down at the ABCA. Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Cheddar shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball.